Hello and welcome. This is the Planet LP Podcast. I'm Ted Asfragadu, and the podcast is, in human terms, right in the pocket of middle age. Speaking of middle age, I sometimes get that feeling when I read about this or that record celebrating its 40th anniversary of its release. It's like, what? Yeah, sometimes time goes by in a blur. But even as the years tick, tick, tick forward, it doesn't mean opportunities to create something new stop. Indeed, if my guest on this episode is any indication, the passage of time is less about fretting about what's in the past than being inspired by a musical muse beckoning into the now. And I'll introduce my guest in a moment. But as always, you can follow Planet LP on the socials, Instagram and Twitter, The Planet LP. Facebook, it's Planet LP. And you can always email me at Ted at planetlp.com if you'd like to connect that way. And remember to follow and subscribe on podcasting apps like Apple, Odyssey, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Also, if you like the Planet LP Facebook page, Facebook will syndicate the episodes to your feed on your mobile device. So if you're taking a walk or a run or just sitting in the park, looking up at the sky and listening to Planet LP, you can do so on your mobile device while being on Facebook the whole time. Okay, that's enough of the usual self-promotion stuff, so let's get started by getting to know Dan Reed from the alternative indie pop band from the San Francisco Bay Area. They're known as Semprini. Kids, I'd like to introduce Dan Reed from the band Semprini by doing the full disclosure thing. Dan and I went to the same high school, did two years at the same junior college, and have stayed in touch on and off for the better part of 30-something years. Prior to being in his current band, he and his brother Bob Reed were the founding members of Overwhelming Colorfast, which the music site All Music describes as, quote, a pile-driving pop-punk band from the San Francisco suburb of Antioch, California. Okay, that band was active from 91 to 95 and got lumped into the grunge craze, for better or for worse. And now, almost 30 years later, they have a brand new band called Simprini. So first off, Dan Reed, welcome to the Planet LP podcast. Well, hello. What was your name again, young man? I have forgotten it because it's been 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> since we last talked. <laughs> it feels like it, right? Sometimes it does. Wasn't it like a week ago? But yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 40 years goes by ago. in a blur. <laughs> it does sometimes go by in a blur. It does. Okay. It does. I'm great, Ted. Thanks for having me on the show. The oh, kids absolutely. are really going to love this. Uh, absolutely. Okay. So from my intro, it's clear that you guys aren't much of a late teen, early 20-something, starting a band. You've been down this rock and roll road before. Yes. So what motivated you to jump back into the rock and roll game? Well, um, I'll tell you, Colorfast had a pretty heady, heady time, you know, from 89 to 96 was our, our total span, you know? Okay, so, but, the, um, but the active years, so, like when you first started recording, was that, was it, did I have those na those dates right? 91 to 94, <sighs> roughly? Or was that our like, first, eh. We recorded our first demo in uh, June, July of 1990, and that went like straight to KUSF, number one on their, their local bands thing and stuff. Nice. So, so we were really active, like right out the gate. You know, we had about six, seven months where we were just woodshedding. And then it just took off from there. But so, um, so all music got the dates wrong. Then. Yeah, all music is pretty sketch to start with. I think <laughs> they even had it in there as like like San Diego suburb. Of, you know, it's like <laughs> what? Like, last time I checked, okay, never mind. Right. It was a great opportunity. We had a lot of fun, and you know, Bob and I talked about playing music together again for many years. 
didn't really want to do Color Fast again as a brand new project, but Bob had a handful of new songs. And a friend of ours named Marty Schneider from San Francisco uh, had been chatting up with Bob about a year and a half ago. And uh, they decided it was time to kickstart something. Uh, so we did it. And we grabbed our buddy Matt Harris, who passed away last year, to take over the bass mm-hmm. role. And um, so Matt, it was Matt, myself, Bob, and Marty out the gate and we had you know we got a dozen songs uh in the in the tank and then started recording last year and just because of covid things went slow and finally got it released in january talk about the member who died matt harris a lot of the antioch folks know matt i think graduated in 87 um we Mm -hmm. actually just held a, a musical memorial for him this last weekend at bottom of the hill in sf a lot of great musicians came up to play and and remember matt but Matt joined Colorfast in 94 when we made a guitar change. And then subsequently, Matt and Mike Drake started the band Oranger in 1996, who were a fantastic pop band. And they put out several records over the next decade and a half. Matt also, in the meantime, joined the Posies and played bass for the Posies oh, wow. for a dozen years. He had the extreme fortunate pleasure of touring on bass with Rocky Erickson from 13th Floor Elevators. You That's know, a band was- I don't know. I'm oh, sorry okay. to say. That's yeah. okay. Rocky Rocky Erickson's an amazing songwriter uh, who had a really really tough life. Um, great documentary about him called "You're Gonna Miss Me Out There." Check it out, kids. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Maybe. It, is, it was. That's just <laughs> really originally. Is that where you saw it? it was Netflix? Yeah, so. yeah. So, um, so Matt had the opportunity to tour the world a lot and get out and play music for a lot of people, and it was you know he just had a great time. We pulled Matt back in to play in this project, and unfortunately, he moved away and then passed shortly thereafter. We picked up Dan Carr on bass, who was in a band called Creeper Lagoon from San Francisco, and uh, another band called Court and Spark as well, um, another fantastic bass player, to do the finishing touches and finish the record and everything. We pulled it together, and, and you know we had some songs, and, and it, just, it all just fell together very nicely. So in 2014, Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters and Nirvana fame sat down for an interview with the Irish Times, and during it, he said... That rock and roll is a young man's game, and he's like effing Gandalf at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I agree, but I'm not in a band. So yeah. to me, it's just a matter of if you have anything to say creatively or artistically. Like, age shouldn't matter. And I'm not sure if he's talking about rock and roll as a young man's game because of touring, because it could be a grind, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. And I threw my back out this weekend playing two shows. <laughs> really? Okay. So maybe, so maybe, so, maybe so, Dave Grohl's onto something. <laughs> a, a portion of it. I'd yeah. say emotionally, you're right. If you've got something to say, man, you know, say it. And, you know, I put out a record last January on my own. I played all the instruments. It's called Amos. It's mm-hmm. stoner rock. And if you've got music and you want to put it out, don't let anything stop you from doing it. You know, it's not about becoming a superstar again. It's about, you know, feeding your creative side and, and having a good time doing it. And I think that in this day and age, the opportunities to create music more affordably is yes, there. You don't have absolutely. to book out time at an expensive studio and things like absolutely. that. Absolutely. In fact, I thank the the stimulus check of two years ago for buying me this laptop and my little uh, USB connector for my mm-hmm. guitar and stuff to, to start recordings. I just decided to start doing it here at home and did the whole thing here. And, you know, I tasked Kurt Block for the Fastbacks and Young Fresh Fellows to do the mix down on my, my record last year. So, you know, whereas the Semprini record we uh, recorded at L Studio in San Francisco. So, oh, so you did have to book out studio time. Yep. Yes, we did. How yep. long did it take you to record the record? You know, we did it in about three days. Um, 
the mix down took a little bit longer because there was lots of people with lots of things going on in their lives with lots of comments about what they wanted to hear and stuff. Mm-hmm, it. So it just mm-hmm. took a little longer than expected, but it was mixed and ready to go like around October, I believe. So that's relatively fast. Yeah. I've been a music fan since it was in high school when we were yeah. in high school together. Yep, so yep. I've read a lot about bands and the pre-production process uh, when they go in with demos and they all work mm-hmm. differently, of course. Now, when you hear things like Van Halen's first record was recorded and mixed and ready to go in like 10 days, and then you hear about, say, for example, a band that takes over a year to produce a record and Uh they're in the studio the whole time. I mean, those are two different work patterns. So to, to minimize the costs in going into the studio for those three days, do you guys just rehearse the hell out of these songs before you go in? Pretty much, yeah. And I'm a genius behind the drum kit at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I'm just going to let you have that moment of self-promotion and just like, I'm a super genius behind the drum kit. Everybody knows. <laughs> oh, all kidding aside, um, it, 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 it went really smooth. And, you know, that's the thing is that a band like Van Halen goes in, makes their first record in two weeks Mm -hmm. because they had been playing together for five years and been playing the songs nonstop over and over and over. They're just burnt into their brains and they're subconscious. They can play them in their sleep at this point. But as time progresses and drugs and partners and the creative process slows down because Mm -hmm. you're touring so much, you're not writing as much. Right, right. It just, it becomes a longer thing. Like, you know, let's not talk about Guns N' Roses, please. Let's not. Um, (laughs) You mean Chinese democracy? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) My goodness. That's probably why the record label went out of business. Um, That that freaking title. But if you don't have like a constant spur of creativity, it's going to make the process a lot slower. I mean, look at the Beatles. They were just pumping stuff out left and right, left and right. But then it dried up and then it dried up in the seventies when Paul McCartney started to slow down and then it starts to feel forced. Yeah. I think you get the point. Yeah, I do. You do need time to rest your brain. You need need time to be inspired by something. You can't be like cranking it out like McCartney did or any songwriter when they're kind of in their prime. Yeah. You can't sustain that level of work. Nope, At some nope. point, the well is going to go dry and you have totally. to wait for the rain to come to refill it. You right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But like I said, you know, we had a great batch of tunes that we started this band on. Just really pleased to have this recording finally out. So, so the band released the album, Semprini, your band, mm-hmm. on February 2nd, 2022. So let's go down and formally introduce the band, starting with Dan Reed on drums. Did you play anything else on the album or are you just the drummer extraordinaire? I Pretty much just played the drums and percussion. I also sang the last track, When the Lights Go Out. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, was one song that I wrote along with I Wish We Would Have Kissed was another one I wrote as well. Um, Marty Schneider, who started the band with my brother Bob, um, plays guitar. And uh, Marty had a band called Tripwire from San Francisco that had been around for a long time. Uh, so he played guitar and did some songwriting, sang one track, Eastbound. And then Bob uh, plays guitar and wrote the remainder of the songs and sings the remainder of them. Dan Carr on bass, and Dan is just there purely for the good looks. But <laughs> someone you, in the band you, had to be the cute one. And you had Dan to be. Carr. You had to get a pretty boy on there, right? Yeah, yeah. How else are we going to move units? You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> if you see the little cartoon image of us, Dan is the one, you know, in the hat. It's the focus, kind of up above everyone else. Oh and, yeah. And we're just sort of just the, the schlubs underneath them. So yeah. you, you do have kind of a schlubbiness going on there. <laughs> Yes. There, that's, it's that whole re- grown up in Antioch thing. Right. What can I say? <laughs> 
Well, it's a good thing that you didn't call the band the Schlubs. You know? <laughs> that one was already taken, by the way. Oh, dang it. <laughs> we thought about the Schlubs UK, but, you know, we just figured it might just be beating a dead horse at this point. I'm sure you've heard comparisons between your brother Bob's voice and that of Bob Mould from Who's mm-hmm, Who. Mm-hmm. That's Is that fair? Yes and no. Bob also gets a lot of Joe Cocker comparisons as well. I don't you hear know. that at all. Really? I, wow. I, maybe it's his look, but I don't know. I don't see that he sounds like Joe Cocker at all. I yeah. don't hear it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's both of them. I think those are the two over the years that he's primarily been connected with. I know of Bob. We kind of know each other through mm-hmm. you, really. But I've never really, honestly, in the years that we were in high school together, yeah. Yeah. I maybe talked to him twice. You yeah, know? He was an iconic figure walking around the high school with his he giant was. beard and, and you know, Zeppelin bell bottoms. He certainly had a voice. And I remember that I was in a TV program called Video Occupations. It was oh. an ROP program yes. that was at the high school. And Bob had come in to cut a promo for Fiddler on the Roof, which oh. they were performing. And he Yes, was, I was in that as well. Yeah, You were in that? He was. Yep. A, he played Tavia, right? Yes, he played he the lead. And yes, I, yes. I looked at this guy walking in. He's all like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm I'm here to cut a promo, and and I'm all like, for what? And he's all like, "Oh, I'm, I'm in Fiddler. I'm all, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the big Led Zeppelin T-shirt and the and he he, just, put, he didn't look he didn't look the role of Tevye. But then he sang a little bit. I was like, yeah, holy shit, this guy can sing, <laughs> right? So, I thought he was going to come in and say, "I'm the Schlitz malt liquor guy," and you know, be like, no. <laughs> now you guys are the copyright holder of. Your music, Samprini's music. So we yes. can feature clips without music label police or the music label police. Absolutely. Menacing emails or takedown notices. So yes. how about we start with the second track off the record? And this one is Put Hands in Last. Yeah. This is Samprini.
Good hooks, mature yeah. sound. Lyrics? Quote, I looked through your window and saw things I've never seen. Wait a minute. That's metaphorical, right? That's artistic stuff. Like I'm totally. looking at your soul. Is it? Yeah, exactly. It's the deep stuff, you know, and it's all interpretive. So, you know, you take it as you, as you need to, Ted. And, and, you know, well, I took it literally at one point and I thought, <laughs> wait a minute, this, this guy, I love the hook, but I'm thinking, Ooh, the lyrics are a little like a uh, creeper. Yeah. No, think. no, it's, it's not, it's all pure poetry, man. Pure poetry. So, <laughs> so a funny thing about that song too, is that um, it was written for color fast back in 95 really. and, and we demoed it out, but we mm-hmm. never laid it down on a record. So there's a demo version of it out there somewhere floating around. So Bob brought it back because we always just really enjoyed the song. It's a great I song. I think it's a great song. I think, Thank you. you know, because of all the years that I've worked in radio, I always listen for the radio singles, right? Like something that's going to really hook the listener. And I thought this yeah. one would definitely do it. Yeah. Um, and another fun little, uh, you know, subconscious fact is the song's called Put Hands in Last. The initials of the song are P-H-I-L, which reference Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy. Because if you listen to the guitar solo in the center, it's very Thin Lizzy-ish. That's some Easter egg stuff, man. That's total Easter egg stuff, isn't it? Oh my God. I would have never, ever put that one together. That's just how good we are, Ted. That's just Thanks for the reveal. Thanks for the sort of the video walkthrough on how we can, you know, unlock those Easter eggs and get to the next level. We just got to the next level because of Dan. (laughs) Thank you, Dan. You're you're welcome. And fun fact, there are literally no other Easter eggs in the record. So dang it. Not even one. Everything. Not one. Not a lick. Nope. (laughs) You're not pink floating it, are you? No, not even close. Damn. Oh, wow. So your band's name, Semprini. That's correct. Where does it come from? Oh, boy. Well, um, there's a a little list uh, where it comes from. But initially, Semprini is the name of a, a famous musician from Italy back in the teens and 20s, I believe. But it was subsequently turned into a gag by your friends and mine, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yes. You and I have been Python fans probably since we were teenagers. Yep. yep. And when I asked you this off mic and you told me it was a Python reference, I'm all like, I've watched every episode of Monty Python. Granted, I have memorized every episode of the TV (laughs) show. So I totally forgot about this particular skit. And it was very short. So I went on YouTube, pulled the audio, and here it is for you, dear listener. The BBC would like to apologize for the poor quality of the writing in that sketch. It is not BBC policy to get easy laughs with words like bum, knickers, botty, or wee-wees. These are the words which are not to be used again on this program. Who's got a boil on his Semprini then? Classic. Oh my lord. Yeah. And of course, John Cleese is being taken away by the police after yes. he says Semprini. Yes, yes. So, oh. Words you can't use. So that's a pretty good reference. It's a deep reference. Yeah. But yeah, you, you could go either way. Because I looked to see if your band was listed yet on Spotify and um not yet um because no, we yet. just we just launched it on Bandcamp we're in mm-hmm. the process of getting CDs and eventually vinyl made so um we're kind of holding off on the um the streaming market for mm-hmm. right now till we recoup all the losses yeah because why put it on streaming when they don't pay anything they don't pay a nickel <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we talked about this on another episode with Keith Creighton he does a thing called the Pop Dose New Music Review and we were mm-hmm. talking about the amount of money or actually the lack 
of money totally. that artists make on streaming. And yeah. the the number of streams that you have to reach before you make a measly buck. And it was yeah. high. I mean, yeah. I think YouTube is the worst. Yeah. It was like over a thousand, like a, only like 1500 streams before they gave you a dollar. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Where is the incentive other than that people can hear the music first if they want to buy the CD? And this gets into the economics of it. And you've been, yeah. you know, certainly part of this music business for a long yeah. time. So you, you know that- when it was CDs, it was different. So when you were with Colorfast in the 90s, it was moving units. It was trying to get physical copies in people's hands by going on radio stations, getting your song played, saying it was available, whatever record store was in the area that you were in, whether it was Tower or some other Sam Goody. Or Or Rock Bottom. Rock Bottom Records in Antioch, right? It's different now in that a lot of artists are seeing the con of it all. They're just yeah. like, hey, wait a minute. I'm giving you to all this content that I went into debt. Now you just get to feature it on your platform to add to your billions of songs yep. uh, that you already have. I don't know. You want to comment a little bit on the streaming? Like, is there, yeah. I mean, it sounds like for you, there's not a lot of incentive to do this. Streaming to me is a very complicated situation actually it's not um the music business collapsed as we all know sometime after napster was invented and from there music stopped being about moving units and generating any sort of income any way they possibly could and there was a lot of years where units weren't being moved so a lot of record companies went out of business consolidated the business of repackaging and reissuing became bigger than putting out new music. If you remember that over the last like 10, 15 years, it's been huge. You know, look at bands like Led Zeppelin and stuff. Mm -hmm. The only way that they could generate income was to put a new song on a six record set of Led Zeppelin four or whatever, you know, that had all the same stuff you'd ever heard except for that one song. They did their best to kind of keep generating income. Well, along comes the Spotify's and Pandora's and things like that. And they gave people the opportunity to listen to music, but they weren't paying anybody anything. And the same royalty rates that existed back when bands put out records weren't in play because it's a different medium and they didn't have the same deals set up. And so that's kind of where the problem lies now. But I think as a musician myself who went through all that 30 years ago, you have to change your mindset now. Back then it was put a record out, you tour and you sell t-shirts and you sell copies of your record at shows or at the record stores, whatever. Now you don't have the luxury of having a record label support you whatsoever. So Mm -hmm. you record the music as cheap as possible and you throw it out there for people to enjoy. Like I said, you have to sort of let go of the, the concept of making a lot of money doing something. You have to just do it for the love of it. And I think that's kind of part of what's reignited my wanting to do music with Amos and with Semprini as well is just, I don't have any expectations about becoming a superstar. You know, I'm 55 mm-hmm. years old. I'm, right. I do it because I love it. There's a lot of years I sat on a lot of songs and a lot of songwriting because Bob wrote all the songs. They came out of his head while he was asleep. You know what I'm saying? He just, he could just you know pump songs out like nobody's business. He was your McCartney. Totally, totally. <laughs> And uh, I was sort of the George Harrison in the background, you know. <laughs> Coming in. Please, I think please, I've uh, got some songs too, Bob. What do you think? 
get out. Please, get out. Please. <laughs> please, sir, would you please put a song of mine on the record, please? Yeah, I suppose uh, you, you, you've, you've, you've rhymed a couple words, but I don't know if they're quite good enough. I don't know. So, you know, it just it's just the mindset has changed over the years. And I think a lot of that has to do with the contemporary generation mm-hmm. not having gone through what older people like myself did to get into the music business right like they grew right into recording in your bedroom and slapping it on soundcloud SoundCloud and and Bandcamp and stuff and it's just there was less effort to put it out there so there was less expectation i think so when people do blow up it's like whoa okay there you go and a lot of it's word of mouth but you know there was word of mouth scenes in the late 80s like in the hip-hop community when you know we were working at rock bottom right and guys from vallejo like e40 and stuff would come bring their cassettes and their cds to our store to sell on consignment and it just had to word of mouth move 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 and they got huge because of that it's sort of the same concept now but with just digital but the long tail is pretty long and flat on the bottom. Yeah. And then uh-huh. when it gets to the top, you're looking at when you actually make money from streaming, you have to be in that 1% category. Yeah, you, you just yep. you cannot be a regional band where when you were talking about the 80s and 90s, even on the hip hop scene, you could be regionally famous or at least support yourself by touring, by getting your cassettes out there or your LPs however you were doing it and getting it out there word of mouth. And so you could do kind of a circuit where you didn't have to have a day job. You could make okay money. It wasn't like you're going to be retiring wealthy, but you could do all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that exists anymore. That's the thing. If you want to make money doing it, you've got to push a little harder. I put my ammo CD out last January and Mm -hmm. there's a YouTube channel called, I think it's Mr. Doom 666. And he releases anybody's, you know, heavy, heavy metal, heavy rock, stoner rock release that sends it to him because he wants to help them get their name out there. And he's got like, you know, 80,000 followers. It was great to put it out there. And after a couple of days, start seeing all these comments coming from around the world. Like, well, these guys sound like Black Sabbath, rad, you know, mm-hmm, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff just floating in. And you get, you know, three, 4,000 spins on that. And people throw a lot of comments and likes. And it makes you feel like, oh, wow, there's still people who appreciate the underground effort, you know, sort of like the indie rock scene was for so many years before those cursed Nirvana fellas blew up. <laughs> but it was like the same thing with labels like 4AD and Rough Trade. You know, you had to word of mouth stuff. You had to buy things on a cover or, you know, something you read about in Maximum Rock and Roll or something like that. It's a similar promotion machine, but different mediums now. Exactly. But radio is is limited by what you can broadcast on a spectrum. Yeah. So there's only so many radio stations that can be on in a certain market, but because of the internet, you can have an unlimited number of YouTube channels, yes. whatever the promotion machine is, or podcasts that you can try and get your word of mouth through. Now, some of them have a lot of subscribers and that's great. Uh, and if you can get on there, that's even even better. So they become the de facto gatekeeper. They're like the radio stations of old, right? Yep. I've got 2 million listeners. So you want to be on my podcast or you want to be on my YouTube channel. Well, guess how many submissions I get every week? A lot. Yeah, exactly. So your chances are going to be you know, minimal. So yes. it's, it's a weirder thing. It's like you have this radio station or you're listening to your radio receiver 
but there's no limit to it. It's just, it doesn't start on, you know, the 88s and ends on the mm-hmm. 107s, but exactly. rather it just exactly. keeps going. Yeah. It just keeps going, right? Totally, so totally. It's the same concept as it used to be, but there's minimal payoff now. Right, right. Um, it, it's right. either, you know, the one out of 672,000 SoundCloud rappers gets a billion hits on YouTube and becomes known. And it's the same concept with any sort of music at this point. The music magazines and websites and stuff promote what they like, like you said, but they get tons of submissions and whether or not they they decide they want to do anything about it is entirely up to them. That's just kind of where we are. But again, it's all about making music that you want to make and being sure. happy with your output and doing it because you love it. Well, let's play another one from the album by Simprini. This one is one that you wrote. It's called Wish We Had Kissed. I really like that one as well. That one really stood out to me. I, I thought, gosh, uh, you guys are pretty good. Thanks, Ted. 
Thank you. <laughs> and that song right there just kind of unfolded because that phrase just popped in my head one day. I just started writing off of that. Like, I wish we would have kissed. Boom. And just wham, wham, wham. It just kind of just happened. So. But it has a real pop sensibility to it because with your previous band, it's a hard rocking band. And then it's, now you have yeah. this sort of pop side to you. So, I mean, yeah. I know we're not just one thing. I am just a novel writer <laughs> of science fiction or something like that. We all do different things. So, yes. yes um, and I, yeah. I like the, the pop stuff more. I'm, I'm more of a melodic guy anyway. So I, yeah. I tend to gravitate towards, towards that. Uh, even yeah. in the hard rock realm, I yeah. tend to like things that have a lot more melody and you kind of hum along to, it's got a good chorus, all that stuff. Like you said, there's different facets to everyone's musical personality. Mm -hmm. And Amos is just a sidestep of the heavy stuff that I like, the stuff I grew up listening to here in Antioch on a track, Mm -hmm. you know, the Alice Coopers, the Black Sabbaths, that kind of stuff. And this is more representative of like my love of the Beatles and things like that. Yeah, I can I can definitely hear the hooks. Even the production of the record has much more well, there's more separation of the of the instruments. There's also a, a more forward, brighter presence in the mix. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I noticed that especially during the early part of the eighties, there was a lot of kind of compression that was used on records. And if I like listen to a, an old Smith's album or something, mm-hmm. The Queen is Dead or something. I just, yeah. it kind of grates on me because I hate the fact that it sounds so thin. Yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking, what did it sound like before they compressed everything? If I could ask God for one thing, Ted, <laughs> however you see God, whatever he is, the universe, whatever, I would say take out those horrific 80s drum tones because yeah. the compression on those drums makes me want to smash my head against a wall. It's right. Just, the 80s drums were the worst invention ever. I don't know the technical stuff or the technical side of how they were able to get those sounds or why they went with them. But sometimes I think that one decade's musical tastes tend to not respond, but rather rebel against the previous decade. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. If you listen to Fleetwood Mac rumors and you hear Mick Fleetwood's drums and they sound very dry, but they're Mm -hmm. also very full. Yeah. Then yeah. you get into the eighties or like, well, we're not going to go with Mick Fleetwood. He's an old fart. We're going to do yeah. something new, something, uh-huh. you know, something new wavy. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think to be honest, I think a lot of that eighties tone came from guys like Roy Thomas Baker, who are producing yeah. the cars and queen. Listen to those drums. They're very full sounding. They are. They're, they're yes. very roomy yes. and just beautiful. I mean, I, I listened to the first cars album and I almost weep at the drum tone. I love it so much. It, you that, know, that first cars album yeah. is so fantastic. And it's difficult to sort of fathom it at some point when you listen to it. This was recorded in 1978. I know. I know, right? Wait a minute. Yeah. This is a 1978 record. It sounds kind of timeless in a way. Totally, totally. And I think some producers took that and built on it and made the 80s drum tone out of that similar start. Mm -hmm. You know, Roger Taylor's drum tone as well on those, you know, mid to late. 70s queen albums Mm -hmm. is very full just like that as well and i think like i said i think some producers at some point in the very early 80s decided to start cranking up the reverb and the compression and built it to a head and used it for all the glam rock bands of the the 80s but it went horrifically wrong at some point it certainly did it certainly did so what are the plans for for simprini what are what are your 2022 plans for the group because we're recording this in 2022 yes so if you're listening to it in 2023 we don't know what simprini is doing at this point (laughs) you've already known what we did so yeah you see you see the best laid plans yeah um so in the middle of the year last year our guitarist marty schneider moved to atlanta Mm -hmm. so um we are putting this release out 
and begging any big bands, Weezer, if you're listening, we'll play some shows. Like we we got up on stage and played a couple songs for Matt's memorial. And right now, I'm not sure there are any big plans for the band. But again, just living in the moment, we'll see what happens. You know, okay. something something grabs onto it, and and we've got the opportunity to play some shows, a West Coast tour or something like that. I'm, I'm sure everyone would be down. Maybe a small regional tour of the Bay Area. TGI makes shenanigans in Walnut Creek. Yeah, we're there. We're there. Yeah, <laughs> bottom of the hill, San yeah. Francisco. You can only yeah. go there. I've, I've seen did. a lot of lot of uh, bands at that. We did uh, play band. one show in August at Bottom of the Hill. Yeah, so that was that was like our one official gig before Marty moved. You can't do a tour via Zoom like the three yeah. of you play. The three of you are playing live, yeah. and then he that is so twenty twenty. Ted, come on, <laughs> that is so twenty twenty. We're trying to move forward with the whole music thing. If we could just stay on target, that'd be great. <laughs> and talking about compression, you don't want to be on Zoom anyway, right? Oh, by that audio so oh lord, much. oh lord, yeah, <laughs> it is not pretty. No, no, not it's pretty. not. <laughs> so we're going to hear one more track from Semprini before we wrap up. This mm-hmm. one is "Best of You." Almost um, gospel-like. I was just going to say that, no, but no. I'd let you finish your own sentence, Ted, because yes. I'm an adult. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And, and that song features a, a, a dear friend of both of ours uh, that you just recently learned played on there, Patrick Main. Yes, on, on the keyboards. Yeah, yes. absolutely phenomenal. Super talented yeah. Patrick Main yes. can do anything. Yes. It seems like anything, anything. Yeah. You know, we played on stage Saturday night with Patrick, and you know, he was also you know building a toothpick house while he was playing keyboard. It was just amazing. <laughs> the guy is a genius. While playing Jenga at the same yeah. time, right? Yeah. We were talking off mic prior to recording this, and I and I told you I I managed a band that Patrick Main was in for a hot second called Mr. Id. I was actually the co-manager of my friend Carrie, who's dear friends with with Patrick, was was the other manager. And I was looking at some old photos my stepdad was showing of us kids in the past. 
and he's clicking through. And this is really like an actual slide projector. Awesome. He's like clicking through. And here comes a picture of me from 1987 with a Mr. Id t-shirt. That oh, was the rad. band that I had made. Rad. <laughs> that is so awesome. Oh, uh, so I got to get that made into a print so I can somehow send it to Patrick. But yeah. <laughs> I still have a, their demo cassette somewhere. I know I do. It's, it's like got, in my you know, it's got some good stuff on it. I was using that cassette. Well, no, it was a fully produced record and I was going around to clubs and dropping off letters with the cassette and saying, we'd like to play mm-hmm. your club. And then I'd get a call and, and even the club circuit back then, boy, they paid nothing. And, yeah, and I remember yeah. Patrick and his brother Marty were saying, I said at one point at the end of the night, I said, hey, guys, we cleared like 25 bucks. I go, woohoo, we got gas money. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. Now I hear he's on your record. We've got all these connections that come to light, I guess, as we are, as we're talking about middle age. Yeah, early in yeah the podcast, totally, right? It's yeah. like, you know, reflecting a little bit. It's like, wow, it really, it really is a small world sometimes. <laughs> it's a terribly small world. It is. So, Dan, <laughs> right. where can people find Semprini on ye old internets? You can find it on Bandcamp right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where the Semprini album is available. Um, there's links on the Facebook page as well. CDs are being produced as we speak. Uh, mm-hmm. LPs are being planned out um, with the LP plants thing right now. It's about six months out from when you put your order in to you get your vinyl. So it's a bit of a wait. That'll be coming a little bit later in the year on vinyl. Definitely CDs are coming soon. And right. like I said, so, it's available digitally right now. So. And digitally, you can get it in a different digital uncompressed format. So you can get it in an, on Wave or, an, or FLAC or MP3 if you want it yes. really compressed. It's available for purchase. Yes. We were talking about the economics of music. We want to make sure Dan and his band get yeah. paid. So yes. buy things. Don't just yeah. Tell rent people you love them by buying their stuff. I still buy a lot of stuff off of Bandcamp myself, especially artists that I grew up with. Like I got a record from Jack and Dino who was in Skidyard and, you know, produced all the big grunge records like Soundgarden and Screaming Trees and Nirvana. It's fairly affordable. Most of the albums are available digitally for sometimes less than $10. Yeah. Bars is seven, I think. Yeah, seven. So, so yeah. Go back to when you were buying records in the 80s and you would see a brand new release and you'd say, hey, it's $7.99. You think, I can afford that. <laughs> That's the steep end. I bet Rock Bottom yeah. has it for $6.99. Exactly. Or or if you go to Tower, they might have it for $5.99. Right? Just for that first it might week. might be on sale. It might be on sale. Just that first Oh, week. Lord. <laughs> a good time. Oh, my goodness. Well, Dan, thanks so much for being on the Planet LP podcast. Really had fun talking to you about music and your band and just life in general sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, Ted. It was my pleasure. It was great to talk with you again. Dan Reed is the drummer from the San Francisco Bay Area-based band Semprini. And that's it. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening. You are the stars that shine above the skies on Planet LP. Until next time, take care and so long. <laughs>